0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, Village Church. My name is Katie Schneider. My husband, Jonathan, and I and our four children serve in Connections as ushers and greeters. I also serve as a deacon here in the intercessory prayer ministry. And if you are interested in the ministry of intercessory prayer, would you pull me or Karen Green aside? We would love to have a conversation to you, with you, about what the Lord's doing in that ministry. Our scripture today is found in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Uh, we're going to walk through that text together. But uh, while you're turning there, let me, let me kind of catch you up on uh, what's happening because we've had this rhythm uh, for right around... 13 to 15 years, and we're kind of breaking it this year on accident. Uh, and so every January, we do the Creator's Heart, and, and what we're trying to do in that series is just go, here is God's heart towards us, uh, and then we kind of tackle these three big issues that have been uh, really serious issues and continue to be really serious issues uh, in this given moment of history. Maybe they've always been uh, big issues, and so those issues are uh, the idea or concept of life and what that means and how we should think rightly about it, the reality of ethnicity and, and what we're meant to do with that and how, uh, what's God's good design for that, and then really uh, how we might ought to think about the nations and the world. And so uh, every year for the last, uh, I want to say for the last 12 to 15, it's kind of flowed where you do the Creator's heart, uh, and then I would have a weekend that I would do life, and then the weekend before Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I would do the, the beauty of ethnic harmony. And, and somehow, because I think the, the first Sunday was the first Sunday of the year, the, the weeks got messed up. So, tomorrow's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Normally, I would be addressing the beauty of ethnic harmony this weekend, but uh, that's going to be next weekend now. And I'm going to just tackle uh, life this week, which is, uh, I'm just making you aware that this is, that there's been a bit of a shift and it's my fault. Uh, but, but we're going to cover the things that we feel like God uh, wants us to cover for the moment of history that we're in. And so uh, over really the last 15 years, I've gone pretty aggressively, if you will, uh, at this idea of life and the concept of life and how the Christian ought to think about life. And and that has given birth uh, to some really beautiful things here at TVC. There have been ministries that have sprung up from us teaching and preaching the way we have that serve women who are in very difficult situations, take care of their kids, help them find good jobs, get them back up on their feet. We, We We've had a ton of really beautiful things occur for women who are in hard spots and kids uh, who are jammed up against it. God's been merciful. And and with the growth of those things, what I want to do, maybe starting this year and moving forward, is I want to broaden out how we talk about life. And I want us to think about, dream about, and consider what it would look like for us to be a community of life here in this area for the glory of God and our joy. Now... Uh, I have said for a long time, I want to reiterate it today, that the least compelling version of Christianity that's out there is the one that has you gazing at your own navel, hurriedly trying to be a better version of yourself, rather than gazing upon the beauty of Christ and being compelled to, as the apostle Paul said, expose the works of of darkness, and so it's not—it's not a surprise to me that so many evangelicals and 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 other Christians uh, find themselves somewhat bored in their faith. It's just like a, a never-ending, uh, just kind of legit, never-ending self-help journey, and and it misses the mark of God's design and plan to push back darkness, establish light, and lead humanity to flourish. It misses the mark of that that Jesus said uh, that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't prevail. Well, I don't know what kind of military strategist you are. Gates aren't offensive weapons. They're meant to keep out. So it's actually hell, demonic principalities and powers, evil that are like, oh no, the church. If we don't navel gaze, see the moment God's put us in and move towards light and life like we've been talking. Now, uh, I said last week to set us up, I think it's an important sermon to understand the month. So if you get a chance, which you're probably going to get a chance this week, go back and listen to that. uh, Because what I said is what's always on the line when we talk about Christianity is life and lies. So life, this is John 10.10. I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. That, that's Jesus's promise. You want life, 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 real life, deep life, ever expanding life. I'm the door. That's his claim. Like you want, it comes through me. There's not a window, a back door, a fence, a, a chimney. You want life. Life is found in me. And then Jesus is so bold as to say, everyone else before me, after me is a thief and a liar. And so we said last week, the way this works is you have life, is Jesus's offer? I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the only way. I'm life. And then lies and lies pull against truth and beauty and goodness in Christ. With inside the church, false gospels, and we covered some of those. And outside of the church demonic principalities and powers that work themselves out via ideologies, belief systems. It's been fun to have some conversations like some of you that just kind of blew your circuits that the primary way the demonic principalities and powers are at work in the world is not a head spinning around with peas, soup, shooting out of the mouth and crawling up the wall, but through ideologies, um, ways of thinking that take some semblance of truth and it's twisted and it's perverted and then it kills, steals, and destroys. It promises life, but it murders. And I named, I think, the three predominant ones in our culture last weekend, but I can't preach that sermon again. So life and lies. So then, if we are the people of God, what does it look like to be a community of life? So five things, and it's going to go faster than you think. Number one, a community of life declares that God is the author and the sustainer of life. This is our text that we've already read. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The people of God, a community of life, categorically rejects the nonsensical idea that something came from nothing and that you and I crawled out of some primordial soup and are on equal terms with our dogs and horses and cats. We call that the demonic lie that it is and say that we, as human beings, have been made in the image of God. We are like God somehow in a way that transcends every other created thing, and are therefore worthy of dignity, value, and respect on par across socioeconomics, ethnicities, places we're from, places we are, struggles that we have, disabilities that we might have been born with or or got over some horrific accident. We say God is the author of life. He is the sustainer of life. And we reject the notion that unborn turtles are more valuable than unborn babies it's nonsensical and i'm not being a bully to the turtles i'm saying maybe we should give human beings the same flipping respect we give sandhill cranes it's just a jig you see life and lies at stake so we want to be a place that says not even in honest science. But I don't know if you put this together. When God dies, science dies. Because there's got to be truth. And we've got to think that truth is actually knowable and a good thing. So you kill God, you kill truth. Which is why science is so janky right now. right? I'm not saying let's be mean to the turtles. I'm just saying let's be honest. Like You can't get something from nothing. Nothing can't give birth to something. That, that's law. Not faith. It's law. There's nothing here, except the universe, out of nowhere. That? No. We reject it. We're like, there's a creator of life, a sustainer, and there's something special about you and me as human beings. We've been made in the image of God. We are like God somehow. You see it in the text. God says, let us make man in our image. And then this is how, if you'd use your kind of sanctified imagination, he, he makes Adam and Eve. And then there's this moment, they're like, let's see if they can do it. And then he takes me, lets them name the animals. This is in chapter two. So God's been, it's been God's voice, right? He's like, let there be, let there be, let there be. Adam and Eve, let's see if they can do it. Adam, go name the animals. And here, here comes this, you know, this strong, broad, it's got a mane, looks majestic. And Adam's like, you know, everything in heaven is just stare like, can the man do it? Okay, it's strong. It's going to be a great helper for us. It's a little bit wild. I'm going to call it the horse. The horse kind of dance, jump, you know, runs all into the, and then, you know, the, the heavenly hosts are like, oh my gosh, he just named, do you know, like for you and me, if you've got a church background, you just so blow past that. Do you know that in the Quran, they, they remove Adam naming the animals because it infers that Adam or the human beings, that we're viceroys, that, that we reign and rule on this earth as viceroys of God. So if you know your Old Testament, um, in the tabernacle and in the temple, there are no images or idols of God. No icons that represent God. I've been to India. I've been to Africa. I've been to other places where you go into these temples and there's the image of that God. I've been to a temple in India that worshiped a monkey. There was a golden monkey in there. Now, if you got into the temple, there would be no image of God. You know why? Look at me. Because we're the image of God. We're the viceroy. We're the icon. Humankind are the ruling representatives of the creator of God. So we're saying as a community, God is the author and sustainer of life. And since that's true, then a community of life unapologetically testifies that God values all individuals from the unborn to the disabled to the dying. If God values it, we value it. And our system is not the world's system. I had lunch this week with a friend. Um, it was a long lunch, a couple hours, and he has a, a son that's severely disabled. In his 20s, he, he's always going to need help. There's not a day coming where he's, he's, not, he's, not, the, he's not disabled where he could like maybe get a, a wife and find a place. No, he's going to need help the rest of his life. And if we try to put a grid on him that says, what is he going to contribute to the community. There's not a lot he's going to be able to, he'll he'll never really be able to spell his full name, he'll never be able, but there is a freedom and beauty in him that I'll never get because I have too much cognition. His affection can't be bought. You you will not buy him or convince him to like you. You will not, and so he brings, he dances, and not well to worship music as it's playing in a way that lets me know he's freer than most of us. In fact, I'll, I'll be mobile, he's freer than all of us. And I'll never be that free until Christ returns. And so what he's a picture of for me is truth, beauty, and goodness in place. And so I don't need him to write a book or be a theologian. He's been made in the image of God. There's a purity in him that I do not possess and will not possess until the return of Christ that I can marvel at this is a man made in the image of God and more valuable than secretariat. And, and not because he can contribute, but because he is worthy of Dignity, value, respect. We we believe that the unborn are valuable. It's why we partner with young lives the way we do. It's why we come around teen moms and the fathers of those babies. It's why we open up the store on the east side of our shopping center to minister to those young men and women. To come alongside and go, as long as you need us, we're with you. As long as you need us, we're with you. Not here's some diapers, good luck. No, no, no. Here's some diapers, let me be your luck. As, as long as you need us, we're here. We we believe this This is what it means to be a community of life. It it means that we don't try to create distance from the dying. We close the gap. We live in a strange moment of history. It's It's a moment of history where you and I want to be convinced that we're immortal, even though we know we're not. But man, we want any evidence that we're not immortal to get out of our face. So throughout human history, you've got a front row seat for people that you love dying oftentimes you would be the one that washed the body and buried. But, but now you, you've got people, and this is, this is no slamming, so I don't want, I'm not trying to, now what we do is we put them away in some other homes so we don't have to watch it. We don't have to watch it. And man, if you've got your mom and dad in a home right now because that's what's best for them and that's what you've got to do, I, I'm not trying to shame anybody or guilt you for that. that. That might be the exact right option. But if the desire is, I don't want to see death. I want dying away from me. We, we want to be a place that says, no, 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 get, get in here, get get it, this is a safe place for the unborn, the disabled, the dying, here, together, all of life, for all of life in this place. We want to cherish, cherish it, champion it, celebrate it, marvel at it, praise God for church fathers and church mothers in this place, men that have gotten to their 80s and 90s and showed us that there's a way to be faithful for 70 years, more of that, Lord. Next, I would say that a community of life is a refuge for the broken and suffering to receive hope and care. What's most wrong with the human soul is not some felt need. It's a broken relationship with God that can only be reconciled through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we want to be a place, and this is the language we've used for 20 years, that it's okay to not be Okay. Uh, I, for how I 'm built, I need TVC to always be a little grimy. Uh, if we get a little too church clean, I'm going to start thinking we're not doing our, our duty. We're, we're not embracing the mission of God. If you've added, if you 've ever added a baby to your home, there's crying, them and you. there's messes that have to be cleaned up that nothing's more selfish than a newborn. Nothing in all of creation. You have never had a baby grandchild or child go whenever you get a chance. (laughs) It's me, 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 now, 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 and and they grow out of that if you parent well. We want to be a place where there's consistently, if not constantly, new spiritual life. That, That means it'll always be a little grimy around here. And and I I want the men and women of this community to see in you and I a welcoming posture towards those who are broken, uh, maybe from their own doing, maybe because their own stupidity, because that's where the Lord found you and me. He didn't find us at our best. That's not what the text says. The text says that while we were at our worst, Christ died for us. So part of what it means to be a community of life is a zealously heralding of the news. That life has been offered to anyone who would come. That that Jesus would say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, let's be that people that says, come, you weary, heavy laden, even though you did it to yourself, we got a spot for you. Oh, you're addicted? You're welcome in this place. We've got a great place for you to heal and and maybe see that bondage broken from your life. Oh, you've got this. This is the place for you to come and receive the good news of God's grace, to grow in your understanding of who he is, that, that we would be this place. It's what it means to walk in life and light. It's why Jesus called us the salt and light of the world. A community of life is a refuge for the broken and suffering to receive hope and care. Number four, a community of life compassionately seeks the welfare of the greater community. One of the benefits of the internet, if we can call it a benefit, is you can be aware of everything in the world at any time you want to be aware of it because that's not overwhelming and scary at all. One of the drawbacks of that access is that you're rarely where you actually are. And presence is sacrificed for omnipotence. So you can be aware of all that's going on in the world, good and bad, what Taylor wore to the game, what, whatever. And, and, and yet, you cannot be where you are but the Lord has called us not to tomorrow and not to some other land and not some other city or town. He's placed us here for his glory and our good. You have been uniquely wired and uniquely placed according to the Bible for the days that God has for you. That the days that he made for you in Ephesians. The good works that he created in advance that you should walk in them. This is Ephesians and Psalm 139 that we should be present in the now Here, for this place, the prophet Jeremiah would tell the people of God stuck in exile the same truth this way. But seek the welfare of the city, where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. Do good where you live. It's it's funny, I am a happy Protestant who has a crud ton of respect for the history of the church and some of the ways that the Catholic Church taught us to think, marvel, and see the world around us either through common grace or through the triad of truth, beauty, and goodness. Protestants, like specifically the reformers, they, they wanted stained glass windows driven out. They just wanted the book, 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 not beauty. And yet, I think the book would testify that beauty is an apologetic. That, that beauty, things like art, things like that make the soul ache for something bigger and more beautiful, those things that are transcendent. And, and to seek the welfare of the city, not only is just sharing the gospel with those are far, but as best we can being a part of truth, beauty, goodness, order in the place that God has planted us and so let me here's some low-hanging fruit uh, on that if we're going to be this kind of community of faith um, here would be uh, the first one I just think it's got to be a priority to know your neighbors if we're going to seek the welfare of the city how can we seek the welfare of the city if we don't know anybody in the city like it and I know some of you are an introvert and you're like, oh, no, sir, it's fine. I, I'm not telling you to be the one that hops the privacy fence and bangs on the door. You get yourself shot. It's Texas. <laughs> right? But I, but I think it's not, it's not a huge deal to make a little bit more at dinner and see if somebody wants to come by. I think it's not a big deal to ask for help if you're going to do a project at your house or to see somebody working on their project and swing and go, you need a hand. This is kind of the way the world worked forever. That's how we got to know each other and, and began to walk in deeper relationships than just kind of the surface ones that we experience now, most of us, right? Get to know your neighbor. Prayer walk your neighborhood. Throw a If, if you're, you're more of an expert, man, throw a neighborhood party just out in the street. I, I don't think the police just get some cones, throw it out there, and throw a big party for the neighborhood. Just let the block get to know each other. These are ways to move towards truth, beauty, and goodness. I think as a home group, here's some ideas. If you're in a home group, uh, look at adopting a teacher in one of our schools. We wanna really be for those teachers. It's not a it's not a tough Not an easy gig right now to be a teacher. And so we want to come alongside those men and women and support them as best we can. What would it be like for a home group to adopt a a teacher or visit one of these local senior shut-in places that are popped up all over our community? I mean, have you noticed this? This why I'm kind of starting to bang that drum a little bit. I think there's five or six and another one being built. They're just everywhere right now. So how do we come into those environments as a home group and adopt one or adopt a group of men and women that are older that we might love and encourage them the last year's of their lives. Maybe get involved with our refugee ministry. We have a massive group of refugees coming into the community. They're making the transition into American life. What would it be like if your home group kind of adopted them, pulled them in, helped them acclimate? And we're a strange culture and we only don't know that we're a strange culture because we're in it. Like we do some weird stuff that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world, really confusing. We could be the people who, are like, yeah, we know, we know it's dumb, especially now that you're telling us what you guys do, but hey, here's an, let me help you with that. Like what would it be like for us to participate in that? Or you could keep staring at your belly button and get six pack abs. I think there's a way to participate in pushing back the darkness and then there's a way to marinate in your own mediocrity. And I think what the Lord wants to call you to is the purpose for which he created you, right? I would also encourage you to invest locally, start a business locally, hire locally, spend your dollars locally. Why? So that we might seek the welfare of the city, that truth, beauty, and goodness would be on display because God has placed us here as his people. Now, my last point is a community of life actively fights for the oppressed, the vulnerable, and the voiceless, which also means, if that's who we're fighting for, that we fight against oppressors, those who take advantage of the vulnerable, and those who silence the voiceless. This is one of those ideologies, I think, that has been snatched by the enemy, twisted and perverted to mean something it doesn't in the text in our day and age. The God of the Bible is serious about justice and mercy. He's not serious about that being hijacked by people with demonic intentions. So in order for us to fulfill this as a community of faith, it becomes really important that we understand not oppression globally, but, but what's it like locally? I'm not trying to shrink back from all the brokenness of the world. I'm just saying you've got a better shot at doing something locally than you do globally. Let local bubble up to global is how I've tried to navigate it in my own life and in the life of this church. And so we have um, partnered. If we're going to do this, there has to be some knowledge of what's going on locally. So I have picked a, a couple that we've been working towards and at. I just want to lay them in front of you. Texas um, ranks number two in the country for trafficking prevalence right now. Um, now, I know, listen, there's a great Mark Twain quote about statistics that I won't do here because I've already got some emails coming and I don't want them, right? There's lies, there's dang lies, and there's statistics. There's a PG version of it. And so I know we could be second just because the size of I don't know how they did the number. So you dig just a layer down, and that's 300,000 teenagers trafficked a year in the state of Texas, a lot of them from the border, but not all of them. More and more snatched from the suburbs and all sorts of wildness going on right now. In fact, in Dallas, there's an estimated 400 teens sold for sex every night. That, that's our backyard. So the posture of the church historically and the posture of the church, what, what it should be our posture as a community of life is like, not while we're here, not on our watch, not while we have resources, not while we have time and, and homes and opportunities and space, not on our watch. That's been the positioning of the people of God that has pushed back the darkness, has ended slave trades, has overcome wickedness all over the world. But if that gets replaced with moralistic deism, then you're bored and darkness festers. So we're partnering with this ministry. It's just called The Underground, which is just a cool thing to call yourself. And they are a 24-7 drop-in center for teens and youth at risk or recovering from trafficking. They saw over 1,000 teenagers last year. We've got a table in the foyer if you're interested in that or getting involved in that. Uh, A second thing that we've been building behind the scenes underneath the surface here for quite some time now is a more vibrant foster and adoption ministry. There were 550 kids in foster care last year in Denton County that entered foster care. It is a heartbreaking reality. If you're a social worker, you know the train wreck that the system is. It is absolutely madness. And we want to be a group of people that says, we'll step into that madness with love, resources, patience, mercy, and homes. What would it be like for us to be that place that like 550 kids? Gosh, there's five, 6,000 of us. That, what would it be like? Like We could, we could just solve that. Why not? could just solve that. And and it doesn't mean that all of us need to to like foster or adopt. It can mean that some of us actually just get trained so that we can babysit those who are in that spot and give them a spell, give them a, a breather. They can't just call the 14-year-old girl down the street to come babysit a kid that's in foster care. You have to be trained and approved. So what would it be like for some of us just go, I'm just going to get the training so that I can support and help those who are called to that. What would it be like just to pray for or, or train towards being a kind of church that says we want to enter in to the most vulnerable and broken in our community the family systems that are the most vulnerable and broken and we want to by the grace of God bring salt and light and life to bear on the lies of this present darkness that are twisting destroying and attacking predominantly women and children what would it be like to posture our hearts by saying not on our watch not on our watch. Uh, I want to end with this um, illustration. I think I've been using this illustration for 21 years. But it's been a bit. So let me end with it. Um, we are, and this is no shade on anybody, um, we are the most entertained generation the world has ever seen. There's never been a moment in history where there's more to do, more to know, more to see, more to watch, more to look at, more to consider than there is right now, and, and that has made us self-absorbed, uh, and that has, that has dampened our empathy and compassion towards where it probably needs to flow and go. Um, and and I, would, I would think that widespread boredom, despite the fact that we're the most entertained generation that's ever lived, should be some sort of check engine light On the soul. Um, My my son, I didn't ask him if I could say this, so I just won't say his name. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you figure out which one it is. He um, he 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 plays, he loves uh, playing on his computer, um, playing these great games, like epic games. Um, what's funny about it is that Billy was in the last service, so he found me. He was like, Why don't you just say my name? And I was like, I didn't even mention you, bro. So he plays, like, Reed likes, I mean, my son likes, um, he likes kind of epic kind of conquest games. He, he likes, like, being a samurai or a knight fighting against monsters and demons and dragons. And, man, and he loves that stuff. And he hates it if your kid does it. I mean, you can hear both coming from upstairs loudly. He loves and he hates. And so him and his boys will get on there and they'll just make war against such and such, the God of doom. And then sometimes I want to just be like, You know you can actually, you get to do that for real, for real. Do you know like in the unseen realm, in the places that you can't see, you and I have been called to fight against and conquer the God of doom. And we've actually got him on his heels. And I know that's not one-to-one. The video game provides a dopamine hit that sometimes long, slow service to the king doesn't provide. But you have available to you in this moment an invitation to light and life. And it is not the church of Jesus Christ that's put up gates and walls and gone, oh no, it's getting dark out there. It's the kingdom of darkness that just hopes we don't wake up. Just hopes it can convince us that it's hopeless and lost. Just hopes that we won't ever look up from our navel And see the harvest that's sitting right in front of us. What would it look like for you to begin to live in such a way that light and life follow you? I'm saying I don't think it's huge. I think it's knowing your neighbors. I think it's inviting people to your dinner table. I think it's as best you can creating things that are beautiful and true and good. I think it's starting businesses in this area. I think it's any way we can herald what's true and right and good and beautiful we're participating in. The great cultural mandate given to Adam and Eve where we step into it and fulfill it as his people at this time in this moment for his glory and our joy. Light and life. Or lies. Ever expanding real, real life. False gospels, demonic ideologies, the promise of life only to betray. That, that's the offer for you this morning. So I wonder what it would look like. I mean, you're heading back to your house here in just a bit, I hope. What does it look like to go back with an understanding? This street, I'm here, light and life. More than likely going to work Tuesday, maybe tomorrow. Light and life, what does it look like? Truth, beauty, goodness, i bring it with me. Can you imagine what would happen if we, the, the men and women of the village church, could live in such a way that we were a community of life and light in this place at this time for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, bless these men and women in the name of Jesus. I thank you for their faithfulness, their goodness. How, yeah, I'm looking at how you've used many of them already in this way. And so I ask, King Jesus, that you would give us like real tangible steps Heading out of this room today of what it looks like to, to be a part of what's true, beautiful, and good. I thank you for your mercy and your love. Ask, even as we turn our attention to your broken body and shed blood in communion, that we would be provoked and reminded anew. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.